Welcome to another inspirational message from Northwest Church. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information on what your next step may be, please visit our website at northwestchurch.com.au. I was uh, thinking this week a little bit about some of my extremes. Um, you know me, and if you've been to our church for a long time, at some points you would have seen me do commando rolls across the stage in my dress and heels while preaching. But yet, at the same time, while I can be loud and boisterous, I need to withdraw and, and get total peace and calm and quiet and solitude in order to rejuvenate and re-engage. It's like these two extremes. And then also, um, I'm really extreme when it comes to truth, like like a little bit irrationally extreme and Daz will be telling a story and he'll be getting the essence of the story across but there's a bunch of details that are wrong and I have to bite my tongue and go he's not lying he's not lying he's not lying and he's not lying he's just getting the essence of the story across facts don't particularly matter to Darren and so I I, I feel like oh, oh my goodness and and so there's like this extreme and then there's this other extreme where I find it really hard to recommend a movie to someone. I've just stopped inviting people to go to the movies with me because if I've invited them, I feel somehow responsible for the movie. And, and if I laugh too loudly at one point, point and they didn't laugh, I'm like, why did you laugh, Bronwyn? Or if they start swearing, I'm like, oh my goodness. Or, or if there's, you know, it's just lame. I feel just, oh, why did I invite them? So I stopped inviting them. If I invite people to a party, then um, I feel responsible for everyone there because I'm the reason that they came. And, and if there's someone over there that's not talking to anyone, but I'm talking to this person, but in order to go and talk to that person that's alone, I've got to leave this person on their own. I don't know how to do that. So it's best just not to have parties, I've decided. And uh, so there's all these extremes. And I was trying to examine this week, what is it about that? Why can't I just sit and enjoy the movie and know that it's not my fault that Hollywood are dumb. Like, why can't I just kind of shake that off? And why, why do I feel so responsible for people in a room? And I started to think about it and examine it. I came up with three reasons that I believe that, that trouble me in this area. And the first is my reputation. I feel like my reputation is at risk. Like, what if there's a heap of swearing in the movie and then that person thinks that I'm very sweary? Like that would be the end of the world, possibly. But uh, but what if what if um, I don't know? What if what if they think I'm really I've got a terrible sense of humour because I laughed at a part that they didn't laugh at? That would be terrible as well. Like there's this reputational thing that I've got going on, and all of these are a little bit interwoven. But then there's the responsibility. I feel responsible for them to have a good time, to enjoy whatever. I feel like it's my responsibility. And then and then that weaves into reputation because if then they don't have a good time, then they'll think that I'm a person that doesn't care about whether or not they have a good time. Overthink much? Yes. Okay. And then the last one is reservations. I have reservations about whether the, the event that I've invited them to is going to be lame, whether just a whole lot of reservations going on. And I got to thinking, is that somehow related to how we feel about sharing our faith sometimes? That these three things, reputation, responsibility, and reservations somehow play out when we want to invite people to explore faith. And so I started thinking about these three things and that I really, I came up with three things that I believe that we need to do in order to share our faith. And the first one is to let your reputation be ruined. Let your reputation be ruined. That's a big thing to say. But yet Jesus said a big thing in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, when he said, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. 
What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their souls? I hear Jesus is saying, you need to be prepared to let your reputation be completely smashed and ruined in order to be effective for me. I wonder if the apostles, when they started the early church, I wonder, you you know, there was this whole moment where the disciples of Jesus Christ, where every single one of them deserted him. But I wonder if they needed to go through that before he died to be able to stand on the other side and say, we know what it's like to care more about our reputation than following Jesus and we came up empty. That's how we felt after that. And so we're never going to let that happen again. So reputation be damned, reputation be shot. We are following Jesus with everything we have. And then Jesus was able to use them to turn the world upside down because they didn't care about their reputations. You know what? I don't want to be a person that gets to the end of my life and says, I wish I'd cared less about my reputation. I'm 39 years old. I'm already feeling like that. I feel like, oh God, I wish that in my 20s, I had have cared less. I wish that in my teens at school, I had have cared less about my reputation. I wish I hadn't have cared so much what people thought of me. And then I know I would have been more effective for you, Lord Jesus. You see, Jesus picks people and is able to use people who don't care about their reputation. In John chapter four, he finds himself at a well with a Samaritan woman. And this woman is in every way the wrong person for him to be talking to. She's a Samaritan. She's the wrong way, race. <laughs> she's, a, she's a woman, wrong gender. Not that I believe that, but back then that was the wrong thing. It's so much so that when the disciples come back to see Jesus, they say, why are you talking to a woman? Wrong gender. But also she'd made the wrong choices in her life. Jesus eventually confronts her with her choices and says, you've had five husbands and the man that you're with now is not your husband whether he was married and they were living in adultery or whether they were in a de facto relationship, we don't know. But she'd made the wrong choices to be talking to a man like Jesus. But yet Jesus extends to her the opportunity to become the first evangelist ever to go and tell people about him. Why? Could it be that her reputation was already shot? (laughs) So she didn't care what the people were going to think of her when she went into town and started telling them about Jesus. And in verse 28, she says, it says, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of their town and made their way toward him. And that story ends up with them saying, We, we believed because of your testimony, but now not just because of you, because of what we've seen for ourselves. This woman didn't care about her reputation, so she was able to go into town and proclaim the name of Jesus. It's the same for a woman called Sarah Jane Lancaster, who in 1908, a Methodist woman, was baptised in the Holy Spirit. And she began to pray for people, and they too would get baptised in the Holy Spirit, and she'd pray for others, and they would get healed of their sicknesses. And so that made her not like the other Methodists at that time. And then she was pushed out to the edge, and here's what historians say about her. Already marginalised... From religious acceptability, Lancaster and her followers were free. (laughs) That's what not caring about your reputation will get you. It'll get you freedom. And Sarah Jane Lancaster was able to defy gender norms and actually founded Pentecostalism in Australia. That's where that got her. Where she was pushed out to the edges and and no longer accepted because of her reputation, then she was able to make greater ground for Jesus because she didn't care anymore. Everything, the the most influential church, I think, in the world, Hillsong, came out of this little woman not caring about what people thought of her, not conforming and just going for it anyway. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5 in the message says, You're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. 
That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. When we stop caring about what everyone else thinks about us and just get content with who we are, that's when we find that we gain everything else anyway. Not materially, but then we don't care about materially anymore. We care about the things that matter. You might have heard of a man called Billy Graham and have these moments where I forget if people are still alive or not. He's not. He's not. That's the question. You're alive. He's not. Okay. I, had a, I was preaching at a um, women's singer at a CWA hall and there was a picture of the Queen and I was honouring the Queen because I love the Queen and I then had that moment of, is she alive? And, but she was, so it was good. Billy Graham, not, but he's in heaven, so he's still alive. Uh, anyway, <laughs> he's preached, he did preach to over 80 million people. Billy Graham, 80 million. Can you believe that? And yet... At the, in the, in, we look back at his ministry and we've got the benefit of hindsight and seeing everything that he was able to do. But yet in the midst of his ministry, I want you to listen to this. As Graham's prestige and influence grew, particularly among mainline non-evangelical Christians, he drew criticism from fundamentalists who felt his cooperation with churches affiliated with the National and World Council of Churches signaled a compromise with the corrupting forces of modernism. Bob Jones, now that's the founder of the college that he went to, the Bible college that he went to, Bob Jones accused him of peddling a discount type of religion and sacrificing the cause of evangelism on the altar of temporary convenience. The enduring break with hard-lied fundamentalism came in 1957 when after accepting an invitation from the Protestant Council of New York to hold a crusade in Madison Square Garden, Graham announced, I intend to go anywhere, sponsored by anybody, to preach the gospel of Christ. If there are no strings attached to my message, the one badge of Christian discipleship is not orthodoxy, but love. Christians are not limited to any church. The only question is, are you committed to Christ? So Billy Graham was willing to let his own people criticise him within and without. The Christians criticised him, which, by the way, is the worst witness that we can give to the world, is Christians to be hating on each other. I digress. And those who were out also criticised him, but he said, I don't care as long as I get to preach Christ. And so he did to 80 million people. That's the kind of thing that happens when you don't care. Joel Osteen. Praise God, praise God. Joel Osteen, I, I, I love Joel Osteen. I was there at Hillsong when he was interviewed a while back. He's a, he's a very um, kind of, he's a, I don't know how to describe him. He's, he's Texan. And so he, um, he, he preaches to millions of people. And he was there with Brian Houston. Brian Houston said to him, because he's the most hated, if you're going to go off volumes of people, preacher by Christians and non-Christians, just because so many people know about him. Brian Houston said to him, how do you feel about what everyone writes about you on the internet? And um, Joel said, see what now? And uh, Pastor Brian said, like, you know, everyone, like, they, you get eviscerated on the internet. And Joel said, do I? And he said, oh, yeah, <laughs> you do. And Joel said, oh, I don't read any of that. I just assume that everybody loves me. And, uh, and so because he doesn't care, he's in 100 million homes in the US and millions of homes across the world. Why? Because he doesn't care about what people say about him. He says, I'm just going to preach what Christ wants me to preach, and that's all I need to do. Now I'm talking about revivalists. I'm talking about preachers, famous preachers. What about us? What about us? Are we going to be those that don't care what people think of us, that we will allow our reputation to be ruined? Will we burn the boats? Hernan Cortez. Steph, you here? <laughs> How do I say that properly? Oh, yeah. Muy bien. Um, and uh, Hernan Cortez went to some country, I can't even remember which one, 
And before they, that they were about to invade, he burnt the boats to let his soldiers know we're not going back. You know, church, let's burn the boats. Let's forget about our reputation. Let's decide to follow Jesus. No turning back. Though none go with us, let's be those that follow and say no turning back. Reputation be shot. I don't care about it. Let your reputation be ruined. Now, I'm at a point where I've had a few people say a few things about me now. And I am getting to the point I'm like, ah, yeah, whatever. I'm getting there. But I can tell you that this is very recent. Only not that long ago, I wanted to be okay with my reputation being ruined, with people saying, I wanted to. And before that, I wanted to want to. And before that, I didn't want to at all. I cared a whole lot. I don't know where you're up to of those phases, of those stages. But can you allow yourself to be brought a little bit along this morning? Can you allow yourself to get to a place where you don't care if your reputation is ruined? And so let your reputation be ruined. Responsibility. What about responsibility? Well, let your responsibility be right-sized. In Romans chapter 10, I'm going to go straight to the message for this one. Romans chapter 10, verse 11, it says this, Scripture reassures us no one who trusts God like this, heart and soul, will ever regret it. It's exactly the same no matter what a person's religious background may be. The same God for all of us, acting the same incredibly generous way to everyone who calls out for help. It doesn't matter if you're Episcopalian, Catholic, Christian, Protestant, whatever. Whatever your background, he wants to draw you. Muslim, atheist, he he calls us all. Everyone who calls help God gets help. Maybe that's going to be you this morning. You're going to make today the day that you cry out, help God. Verse 14, but how can people call for help if they don't know who to trust? And how can they know who to trust if they haven't heard of the one who can be trusted? And how can they hear if nobody tells them? And how is anybody going to tell them unless someone is sent to do it? That's why scripture exclaims, a sight to take your breath away. Grand processions of people telling all the good things of God. But not everybody is ready for this, ready to see and hear and act. Isaiah asked what we all ask at one time or another. Does anyone care, God? Is anyone listening and believing a word of it? The point is, before you trust, you have to listen. But unless Christ's word is preached, there's nothing to listen to. We need to know our responsibility is just to give the word. There's a whole lot in this passage of his responsibility and then our responsibility and then their responsibility. I gave out one of these one-day cards yesterday to a friend of mine. And my daughter works with them, and, uh, and, and, um, and I said to Bells, oh, I invited them to One Day Sunday. And Bell said, oh, how did they take it? And I went, <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't think they'll be there. And, um, and Bell said, oh, Mum, I'm really sad for both of you. I said, oh, Dylan, I'm not sad. I've done my responsibility. Now, the next is their responsibility, whatever they do there. And she had other reasons that she explained to me why she was sad and, and, and it was valid. But that's all our responsibility. We just do our part, let God do his part and let them do their part. And it's almost like we're an observer of everything that's going, watching God weave it all together and see what will happen. It's exciting. Maybe you feel responsible, like, well, if I get there, like, is someone just going to come up and without asking their permission, just pray for them? But don't do that, by the way, people. Let's not do that. Um, and, and, and it's going to be super awkward and strange. And they won't know that they can say no to someone asking them if they want to be prayed for. Like, is it going to all be a bit weird? Well, just leave it to God. Leave it to God. It's not going to be the worst thing that could ever happen. God's able to work it all together. 
So listen then in Matthew chapter 13, verse 18, to the, what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is a seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So, so, so. Um, we just got to sow, people. Our responsibility is simply to sow. We have no control over the ground. We have no control over the harvest. We simply have the responsibility to sow. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul's saying, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. God is the one who makes it grow. In um, Back to the Samaritan woman, when she goes into the village to tell everyone about Jesus, Jesus is talking to the disciples and he said, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labour. I love this because it suggests even that we will sow and maybe not even reap any of the reward, that someone else might reap the reward and the benefit, that we might not even see the reward or the benefit. We might not even see that person end up giving their lives to Christ or coming to church, but we just sow and let God do what only He can do. Let's right-size our responsibility. You see, to feel so responsible for everything that happens in church or everything that happens in the invitation or every Christian, to feel like that maybe that that'll filter into our reputation, that the only exposure that they've had to Christians is Ned Flanders and, um, and we worry about that or, or maybe we think their only exposure is Prime Minister Morrison who is a lovely man and I'm so grateful for him but let's face it, he's a little bit of a dorky dad and if they know that he's a Christian and they think that all Christians are dorks, reinforced by Ned Flanders and then we think they're going to think we're dorks and uh, let's just right-size our responsibility. We don't have any control over any of that. We've just got to sow the seed. Let's just sow the seed. And so then finally, our reservations. What reservations do you have? Are you thinking that maybe nothing will happen and nothing will change and, and so then, like it's no use kind of talking about it, that, you know, you've heard people talk about waves and moves of God and you've never seen it, so you kind of feel like, ugh, I don't know that really anything would happen or, or do you feel like, I'm finding it hard enough to see the work of God in my own life to be able to trust the work of God in somebody else's life. I just want to give us some scriptures. I'm going to rapid fire them this morning because this hasn't been rapid fire already. I'm going to rapid fire some scriptures at you to show the work of God that is happening in the world as we speak. It's not just, sometimes we could be forgiven for thinking that we come to church and we see other people go to church and and, and that's what's going on and it depends on our invite and all that kind of thing. And, and, and part of that is true without seeing the bigger picture that's at play here. John three sixteen, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. 
Jesus was sent into the world to save the world. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, this is good and pleases God our Saviour, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man, Jesus Christ. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. And I've been chosen as a preacher and apostle to teach the Gentiles this message about truth and faith. I'm not exaggerating, just telling the truth. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord isn't really being slow about His promise as some people think. No, He is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Now, I've kind of left you hanging a little bit there. And uh, if you're a theology person wondering if I'm a universalist, as I've brought out these scriptures about everyone coming to know Jesus, well, there's enough scriptures to say that not everyone will choose Him for us to know that that's not the case. But what I firmly believe is God doesn't act according to his foreknowledge, but rather acts according to his forewilling and his will is that everyone would be saved. And even though he knows that not everyone will choose him, his desire is for everyone to choose him. And he is willing and acting on that behalf all the time, not just according to what he knows, but according to what he wills. And he's drawing all people and all manner of people at all manner of times. And we need to be the ones that see that. Let our confidence rise. Not that we're, you know, out in the West Christian, post-Christian, post-modern era and that the church is dying. But no, God is still at work and we can let our faith rise as well. John chapter 12 verse 32 says, I, when I am lifted up, will draw all men to myself. He's drawing all men to himself. John chapter 6 verse 40, for it is my Father's will that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I'll raise them up at the last day, everyone that looks to him. Now these are two, these two scriptures at a particular time, particular place, but they still apply. Jeremiah 31, 3, the Lord appeared to him from afar. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you with loving devotion. Hosea chapter 11, verse 4, I led them with cords of kindness, with ropes of love. I lifted the yoke from their necks and bent down to feed them. John 6, 39, second last scripture. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. Church, there's a lot of talk about revival now, if you pay attention. A lot of talk about revival, about the next wave of God, the next move of God. And, and I don't want to be a person that sticks out on the fringe not believing for that. I don't want to be someone who um, looks on at that and looks at everyone's faith for that and is an observer to that. If there's faith for revival, I want to be someone who's right there with them believing for that as well. And so I wonder if we can come to our feet this morning. Tonight, Overflow Steph, it's going to be amazing. But we're going to pray tonight for a couple of minutes. We're going to invite everyone who has faith to pray for revival to come forward and pray and for us all to believe together during Overflow after tonight's service. But tonight, I want to pray a prayer. Actually, it's this morning. I want to pray a prayer of faith as well. And I want to believe that we might see a move of God in our day. And so we're going to do that in just a moment. But what if you think, but Bron, this is like, I've been a Christian for 40 years and we've been praying this for 40 years and I've never seen it. So maybe we'll just keep reaching one person at a time. Maybe we'll just incrementally just see one person at a time give their life to Christ. Oh, what a bummer, hey? <laughs> one person. One person at a time, incrementally reaching one person at a time, keeping passion for the one. 
Like Luke 15, 10 says, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angel when even one sinner repents. So I hope and pray, church, that as we look for revival and believe for a move of God and a wave of God and whatever else, that we would keep the joy about one. I don't see why God would entrust us with any more if we don't get rejoicing about every single one person that gives their life to Christ. And so we, while we wait, while we believe, while we even maybe die believing, we take very seriously and preciously every single person that comes to know Jesus. So tonight, oh wow, it's a long day, clearly. This morning in this place, this morning, is there anyone who says, what are you telling me that that all of heaven is leaning in, waiting to see if I will respond to Jesus? That's exactly what I'm telling you. There's so much more going on than what we see. And God loves you. And God is chasing you down. And all that needs to happen is simply that you respond to Him and say, yes, Jesus, I give my life to you. I'm ready to surrender to you. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring faith or a follower of Jesus, there is a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to northwestchurch.com.au. And thanks again for listening.